0: Hey, good to see you today. We are talking this morning on how to engage our world. Our purpose, our mission here at East Bay Calvary is to make more and better disciples. And obviously, if we are going to do that, we need to connect, we need to engage, we need to be in the lives of people who are not at this point followers of Jesus Christ. So we're gonna talk today specifically how do we engage our world? And I'm gonna invite you right now to take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Philippians chapter two, if you would. Philippians in chapter two. And if you have a study guide, and you do if you grabbed a worship folder on the back there, is what we're gonna use to work through this together this morning, how to engage our world. And I know what some of you are thinking because I've talked to you and I've thought it myself and sometimes you think, how, how can I do this? I'm not really, I'm not the best at this. I don't know all the answers. I'm not the smartest person around. I don't know, what if they ask a question? What will I say in return? How am I going to handle these situations? And I just wanna tell you, you do not have to be the smartest person around. You don't have to know every answer in order to engage your world for Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know this. We have athletes all around us that make tens of millions of dollars. And they are not all the smartest people on the planet. I couldn't resist and I looked a few of these up. Listen to these for a moment. Australian golfer Greg Norman was quoted as saying, I owe a lot to my parents, especially my mother and father. Brilliant. Philadelphia 76ers coach, Doug Collins says, any time Detroit scores more than 100 points and holds the other team below 100 points, they almost always win. Genius. North Carolina State basketball player Charles Shackleford said, "Left-handed, right-handed, it doesn't matter. I'm amphibious." <laughs> New Orleans Saints running back George Rogers, when asked about the upcoming season, said, "I want to rush for hundred, or I want to rush for thousand, or fifteen hundred yards, whichever comes first. <laughs> and one of my favorites is uh, Joe Theismann, former Redskins quarterback. Nobody in football should be called a genius. A genius is a guy like Norman Einstein. <laughs> yeah, he's a, that's a good one. And then the last one I'm going to give you uh, NBA center Chuck Nevitt said, My sister's expecting a baby, and I don't know yet if I'm going to be an uncle or an aunt. <laughs> There's a brilliant one for you. And they make millions of dollars, people. And they make millions of dollars because here's the deal they know their purpose. They know what they're there to do. They're to take this orange ball and stick it in that hole and keep the other team from doing it. And that's how they do it. They don't have to be the brightest bulb in the pack. And so, you know, for you and I, we just need to engage with our purpose. Why are we here? We latch onto our purpose and just put our heart into it and trust God we can engage our world together with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to give you a few things this morning From Philippians 2, that'll be an encouragement for us. These are very specific, tangible, practical ways that we can share our faith. And then next week, we're gonna come together and we're gonna be talking about a strategy, a very simple three-part strategy for connecting with our world, with the gospel of Christ. So here we are in Philippians in chapter two, another chance for you to stand up. I'm just giving you all these chances Stand with me, would you, and we are going to look at verses 12 through 16, verses 12 through 16, and we're going to be talking about how to engage our world to make more and better disciples, verses 12 through 16 here, Philippians chapter 2. I'll read it for you. You just follow along in your translation there in your hand. Here's what it says. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. To do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Hey, I just wanna pray with you for a moment. Then I'm gonna sit you down and we'll get to work together. God, we are about to touch on such a beautiful, practical thing that all of us can do starting today to change our world for you. And whatever distractions, Father, that we may have pulled into this place, whatever issues that happen outside of these doors, I pray that they will stay there for these next 25 minutes and that we will focus and walk out of here better equipped to touch people with truth, to change their lives. And we ask this, God, in the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, have a seat. I want to walk through this um, this morning. I, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to set up for us the end of the text first, and then we're going to work down through it to see what the Apostle Paul is talking about in engaging our world for Jesus Christ. What is our world like? And so if you look at your study guide and you look at the end of the text, he gives some descriptive statements about our world that we live in, and here's Here's what he mentioned starting, um, if you look down a little bit farther, verse 15. What's the condition of our world? Here's the condition of our world. Verse 15, he mentions so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, and notice these words, and I know our translations may say little different words here with the same emphasis. Children of God without fault in a warped, and crooked generation, a warped and crooked generation. Some translations say crooked and corrupt. And there may be another different combinations that you have in your copy of the scriptures this morning. What I wanna give you is a picture of the world we live in and then how we can engage it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world we live in, the text says is crooked. And I want you to picture in your mind a straight arrow, and you know that if it is not perfectly straight, it will not hit the intended destination. There's just no way. It's gotta be exactly, precisionly crafted so that it is perfectly straight if you wanna be able to hit that. I want you to notice about the text, it doesn't say that the things the world does are crooked. It says the world is crooked. The reason why it will not hit the intended destination of what is right is because from the inside, the direction and the devices of the world from the inside are pointed, they are adjusted, they are crafted incorrectly, they will not hit the intended destination. It is crooked. Their moral compass is screwed. The moral position of the world is bent and misaligned and without God, and this is the big deal, without God, society's position and direction will be bent. And although they may think they are right and straight, when they are held up against the arrow of God's word, they're gonna realize that they are very much misaligned and will never never end up straight crooked. Here's the second thing I want you to notice about the world. It mentions two words, crooked and corrupt. Um, There are other ways that the words used, and sometimes even in different orders. Here's the word corrupt, and this is the understanding there. It means to distort, to mislead, to turn away, or to make crooked. So here's the second thing I want us to realize. Not only is their arrow bent, The idea is they want to bend your arrow as well. They don't want you to hit straight on. So not only are they adjusted their idea for you in what is said, in what is taught, in what is conveyed is we want also you to miss the mark. We want you to be off target as well. Through misinformation, through wrong counsel, through direction, The intention is to move others off target away from God's directives and follow down a pattern of society around them. That's exactly what it is. I wanna take the blinders off this morning. I just want us all to see this extremely clearly. Folks, this world is not a neutral zone for everyone to come up with their own thoughts. This world is a directed zone hoping to direct individuals away from the clear, straight path that God has developed for us in his word. Our purpose of more and better disciples is not an easy one because of the world we live in. And here's the truth. Not only do we have a purpose of more and better disciples, they have a purpose of training the mind to think Differently. They want to make followers as well as we do. And truthfully, it appears, I would say, our society is a little better at making followers than the church is. Um, I want to give you a, a phrase. And parents, um, if you're still awake and with us, this is one to write down. It's not in your notes. And everyone, I want us to think this way this morning. So write this one down and think about it and take it in and really digest it over the day. When we look at everything that's out there, understand there is a message being communicated through nearly everything, through television, through the news media, through the internet, through education, through billboards. There is a message being communicated all the way across the board. And here's the phrase I want us to think about. Don't be sponges be filters, don't be sponges, be filters, think critically about what comes across. Whether it be in the news outlet, whether it be in entertainment, whether it be in education, whatever it may be, realize we live in a crooked world that designs itself to make you crooked as well. And we need to look at everything critically rather than just being sponges and ingest everything in. Don't be sponges, be filters. Think about it. Help your children think about things critically. Watch what comes into their mind and thought because sometimes these kiddos just sit there and it all just soaks in and it's funny and it's entertaining and it looks really neat and we need to be very, very mindful that our world not only is crooked, they want To make their mission that we think the same way. That's the world we live in. Here's the potential of our church. Verse 15. I love this. The potential of the church. It mentions we can be children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Check out verse 15. Then you will shine among them like stars. Like stars. And that's what we are to be. I'm thinking about proposing that we turn, since we're all stars, we turn this into red carpet in here. Hmm? We all walk in on the red carpet. We're all not those kinds of stars. But illuminating stars in the sky. And I know we look at our world, and doesn't it seem more polarized now than ever before? I love what PR mentioned about this lack of peace. It's so true. So much division and challenge and you think, man, how are we ever going to come together? And the world is getting so dark and you see these shootings and you see the violence and all the challenges. How is all this ever going to pull together? And here we are to be stars. You realize the darker the night, the brighter the star. Huh? You realize sometimes we'll say some of the craziest things we'll say at night. Wow, the stars sure are out. Guess what? They're out during the day too, folks. Did, did I just blow your mind there for a moment? They are? They are. There's just a difference. You don't see them during the day because it's light. But at night, when it's tough and it's dark, you see these things sticking out because they contrast with the whole landscape around them. And so here we are, the Bible says as the church, even though there's this dark world around us, we have this phenomenal opportunity to light this sky up and illuminate the world around us with a message. And that's what I wanna talk to us today. How do we do that? How do we engage our world? How do we become light in a dark world? And so here's three ways I wanna give us to engage our world for Jesus Christ. And as you hear, my voice may end before my notes do. And I will just take it as far as these vocal cords will go and then we'll close with prayer. So Let's jump into it. How do we engage our world? Three things, here they are. Three things, number one, we engage our world, we are lights in our dark world, number one, with our lives. With our lives. And this is verses 12 through 15. If you will note what the text says here, with our lives, this is therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, so he's talking about obedience not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So the directive here is we impact our world, we engage our world, we are lights in our dark world, number one with our lives. And here's the emphasis. It's on our obedience to the word of God. Now, some of these words trick people or trip them up. Can you look at them if you've been involved in church ministry or been in a church setting? Some of these may grate with you a little bit where it says, continue to... Work out your salvation. Some of us may look at that and think, is the text advocating that I am supposed to work for my salvation? I just wanna set the record straight really clear. Notice it doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work it out. And I also wanna mention the context It says in verse 12, as you have always obeyed, continue to, so that it's tied to our obedience, it's tied to our lifestyle. Work out your salvation. What is on the inside that God has done? Work that out to the outside. Let people see on the outside what God has done on the inside. And just for clarity's sake, here's the reality of salvation. Salvation is by works but not by ours. It's by Jesus Christ's work on the cross when he died to pay the penalty for our sin. He paid it all. We didn't pay anything, but we offer our love to him from our lives. And I don't know how good your um, hymnology is, and my voice is horrible right now, Apologize to the people sitting around me during the song service. Ah do you know that old song? Yep, for singing it with me? You are. Okay, here we go. I hear the Savior say. Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness. Child of weakness, watch and find in me thine all in all. Find in me thine all. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid all to him I owe. All to him. Sin had left a crimson stain. Had left a cr- He washed it white as snow. Yeah, that's the words right there. It's not our works. It's his work. And so when the Bible mentions to work out our salvation, it's not saying to work for it. He's saying, I want you to let people see on the outside what he has done on the inside. He mentions a couple clarifications. It says, work it out with fear, and trembling. This is to be serious, spiritual thought and development. There needs to be a reverence and respect for God. What we live is so critically important, people. It's not only important for our watching world, it's important for our God to realize we reverence you, we love you, we respect you, you see everything I do And I wanna live in a way, whether it be publicly or privately, that you're pleased with. We do it with fear and trembling. And we can only do it with God's help. This verse 13, it is God who works in you. Notice he works in us to will, to want to do it. He works in us to act, to do it in order to fulfill his good purpose. So realize it is only with God's help and initiative that we will actually be involved in working this spirituality, what's on the inside to the outside. We do it with fear and trembling and respect. We do it with God's help, his initiative, both to will and act. We don't do it alone. We can't do it alone. We do our work of letting our light shine before men with the help of God in our life. What we do matters. How we live matters, How we live is an engaging aspect with our world, with the gospel of Christ, because you know the number one reason, the number one hold up and hang up with the world with Christians, you know what it is? You know what it is? Hypocrisy. It's the number one hang up, the number one obstacle. I'm not gonna do that because you know all those people are hypocrites. I had a man come to me once in tractor supply in New York. He said, uh, he asked me, hey, does, does this guy go to your church? And he asked me in such a way, I was a little nervous. I'm thinking, oh, I don't know if I say yes or if I say no. So I said, well, yeah, I knew him well. He says, well, let me tell you something about him. And he proceeded to go on. Telling me all these things. He owed him a hundred bucks. Took something and never gave it back. And he's not the good person you think he is, he told me. And then he said this. And that's the reason I'll never go to church. What do you say? So here's what I told him. I said, wow, he did that to you? He said, yeah. I said, man. Man. Sounds like just the kind of guy that needs to be in church, don't you think? He goes, yeah, I guess. I, <laughs> makes sense to me. I said, you know what? You should probably come too. If you find something better to say, let me know. That's all I could come up with. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Guess what? I am a hypocrite. And this is exactly where I need to be. It's the same thing with all of us, but you realize we need to work on what we do as a visible witness to our world because if there is a difference, they will be so quick to pick that up. And how we live is an engaging point with our world, with the gospel of Christ. So the very first point before you come up with four spiritual laws or a dynamic way to connect with someone with the gospel, I say the very first ingredient to our life of visible witness is how we live. There's nothing that you'll say that'll be better than what you live, guaranteed. There's no tricky word sequence that you can give that will get them to think about the message and not how you live. So the very first engaging point in the gospel is how we live. Here's number two. Number two, we engage with how we live our lives. We engage with our attitudes. Now, if the first one wasn't toe-stomping enough, check out this next one. Verse 14, do, now I don't care what translation you have. I think they're probably pretty much the same on this. The next word, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So, the second thing that we impact and engage our world with with the gospel is our attitudes. Our attitudes, there's our lives. And then there's our attitudes. Now, I don't have a problem with saying, you know, we shouldn't grumble and we shouldn't complain. Here's the problem I have with this verse is one word, everything. Did you catch that word? Do everything without grumbling or complaining. So now just let me um, connect with you. How did you do so far this morning? do everything without grumbling. There's some people I'm like, hey, just do something without grumbling and complaining. You know, just try one and just see, be a trendsetter, you know, turn over a new leaf, just try one, see how it goes. There's this gal I remember, good gravy. I swear she ate lemon sandwiches every day. She was so sour coming to church every day and there was all these litany of problems. I'm like, wow, isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord today? do something without grumbling or complaining. Then I realized I was complaining about her, and that just screwed everything up. But our attitude impacts other people around us. And the scriptures even point out the specific attitude is the one of gratitude. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. Now, two words, one word, the grumbling, or murmuring, and the idea is private. So, man, God's not gonna let us out of anything. He's saying, even privately, you wanna go back to your room and growl. Like Snaggle the cartoon, you know, fussle, Russell. You, know, you go back to your room and you just fucks about it. And the first word, murmuring, says, don't, don't even go back to your room and mumble and grumble. This is no private grumble session because the the idea is what we do even in private, somehow it's gonna affect us publicly. We're gonna forget sometime and carry that face out of our bedroom and it's gonna impact people around us. This is no private stuff. And then the word complaining is the idea of reasoning And, and so he's talking about open disputes and arguments and when we begin to combat and go back and forth about what we like or don't like he says don't even do that don't do the private stuff don't do the public stuff just stop all grumbling and complaining I'm sure he had in mind two women that are mentioned in Philippians 4 2 that were having disputes in the church and other people could see it and he could see others around were looking at these disputable times in the church and thinking, really, that's where I want to go? Those are the people with answers, the ones that are squabbling and complaining. So the text is nailing it. We want to impact our world. We do it with our lives. We do it with our attitudes. I had this idea about banning complaining. Wouldn't that be awesome? Ban complaining. I think about doing this in our home and even making up T-shirts, you know, with complaining and with a slash through it. And if someone complained they had to do chores or, you know, now let's think about even doing it in church. And maybe we would do, um, if you hear a complaint, it's a $5 fine. Wouldn't that be Awesome. It's a win-win. We will either be the most positive church around or we will be the wealthiest church around. (laughs) But you realize in our world, it's getting darker and darker. Do you hear more complaints now than ever about everything and our, and our society's catering to it like, oh, well, okay, we'll do it your way. You want it your way? We'll do, okay, we, we want you to be happy. And so we walk around like, I don't like this and I don't like that and that's too cold and this is too hot and that's too bright and that's too dark. And we go through all of these litanies of complaints and it seems to be the way our world is. And if nothing matches up, we make sure we let everyone know. And imagine if we as believers walk into our dark complaining world And we do this crazy thing like smile. And we say affirming words and talk to people with love and respect and point out what they do with admiration and appreciation. You realize what that does for the witness of Jesus Christ. Imagine what that does when we talk to other people about our church family. And they see after church as you go through the grocery line and they say, hey, how's your day? What are you smiling about? Say, I just came from church. It's so stinking awesome. I love my church. Love it. A big way to ramp up the wattage on our witness, huge way is to cut complaining out of our lives, cut it out of the church, Our society's never seen anything like this before. Gratitude, thankfulness, praise, pointing out the positive, looking for the silver lining. They don't see anything like this. And when we do it, wham. What an engaging thing. Here's the third one. Here's the third one. There's our lives, there's our attitudes. And this is a neat, neat visual that he mentions in verse 16 the end of verse 15 to 16, it says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And notice this, as you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not labor in vain. Now, there's no question what the word of life is. The word of life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it is the ultimate luminant. It is the very thing that we embrace. This reality that Jesus is our one and only. He is the only way to the Father. There is no other way but by him. He died on the cross for us. And the text mentions that word of life and it says our wattage grows as we hold firmly. Now I want you to understand some texts say hold firmly and other texts say hold forth. And so we wonder which one is it? Here's the answer. It's both. Now, I'm going to show you how this is. Um, the Olympic torch runner. Now, when they give him the Olympic torch, and you know, he takes it for part way and then he gives it to someone else. And she'll take it for part way and give it to someone else. And so, you know, when they're running with that torch, guess what they tell them to do? You better hold tight to this thing, okay? You, you don't want to drop that. So you hold firmly to it. But then they don't say, um, now clutch it like this either, lest you burn yourself, okay? You hold it out. The torch isn't just for you. The torch you are holding out for others. Lady Liberty holds her torch on high, not for herself. But she holds it up there and says, bring your huddled masses She's holding it out there for them. So here's the idea. We have the word of life, the message of life of Jesus. And he says, we will engage our world with our lives, our attitudes. Then the third one is our invitation. And this word of life that we hold firmly to The text says we are to hold it out to. We are torch bearers. The light isn't just for us so I can see where I'm going. The light, I'm holding it out for other people to see the way. We are torch bearers. This no longer is an idea that this message is only for us but we bear the light, not clutch the light. We hold out the light because it is not merely for us, it is for them. And it's an invitation. See the path, see the way to go. Come on down this path with me. This is the way. You've seen my life, you've seen my attitude. Now realize the path it took to get there and the path is the path of Jesus Christ. We hold it out. We invite them. You can live a great life, and we need to, for the glory of God. We can have great attitudes, and we need to have them for the glory of God. But at some point in time, gang, we need to grab that torch, and we need to hold it out there so that way they know the way to get there. And that's how we make more and better disciples. I want us to think about this a little bit. In fact, I want you to think about it in your head and heart right now. We've got to do this. This is our mission. It's not a mission I came up with, it's a mission of Jesus Christ for our church. With how we live, with our attitudes, and with our invitation, our specific invitation making more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. We've got to do it. We are in a world that is countering this very message. And we can't expect them to do it for us. This is for us. This is something everyone can do. If you're in school, you can do it. If you're at work, you can do it. If you're in your neighborhood, if you're in Walmart, if you're at Costco, wherever it is, you can do this. We can do this with God's help. And I want you to, in your mind right now with me, just close your eyes. And I would love for you to evaluate. How's my light? How's my light in this dark world? I I don't want you to think about anyone else's light. I want you to think about your light. How's your light in this dark world? How's your life? Would people see it? Say, yeah, there's something going on there that I want a part of. Would people see your attitudes? Would that be a magnet to Jesus? And are you ready to put out some kind of invitation to come and see I can't make a decision for you, but I would love for you to think about this. Because you can even do this at home with an unsaved spouse. With kids that need to know Jesus, with, with parents that may be stepping away. Kids, you can do it there. You can do it at school, at work, wherever. These are things you can do anywhere. And in your heart, would you Talk to God and commit to being this kind of engaging person in our dark world for him. I want to give you a moment of silence. Please do that. Talk to Jesus right now. Commit to this kind of a life. Right now. 20 seconds of silence. And Father, we all need to let our light shine brighter. Not for us, God, not to us, but for you and to you be the glory. We are not the light in and of ourselves. We only bear what you have shown on us. Help us to engage and impact our world in a dynamic way, our dark world with your light. All of eSpace said, Amen. So here we go, gang, ready to engage our world, just like Jesus did. And I wanna give this to you. Jesus met unbelievers where they were, in that dark world in his time. catch this. According to one count, the gospel records 132 contacts that Jesus had with people in general. Six were in the temple. Four were in the synagogues. 122 were with people out in the mainstream of life. That's where this happens, is out there. We can smile in here, sing in here, and live well in here. But when we take that out there with them, That's how we make more and better disciples. So God bless you this week as we're on mission with our lives and our attitudes and our invitation. Next week, three steps to reaching your world for Jesus Christ. Look forward to seeing you then. God bless you. Have a great week.